There's still a table uh, with some pens, with some paper, and some prompts for prayer. If you wish to take part in that during this sermon, you are welcome to do so. We participated in doing that a little bit last week, um, and this is an opportunity to continue that if you wish. And if not, that is all right as well. So there is a lot happening in our text today. As Jesus begins his ministry, it is only the second chapter in the book of Mark, and the author of this book does write things at a very fast pace, but in only two chapters, Jesus has healed many, called his disciples, prayed alone in a desolate place, breaks the Sabbath laws, and gets in big trouble with religious leaders of his time. Welcome to ministry with Jesus. He doesn't mess around. And at the beginning of our text today, there is a story of a man who is healed by Jesus. And this is a very unique story for many reasons. And when I visited dear Catherine Hampton this week, who broke her leg over Christmas, she asked if I needed any help with my sermon, and she offered to be lowered from the chandelier into the sanctuary as a visual aid, which seems kind of exciting. You can imagine it, I'm sure. But while that would be exciting, I haven't been known to heal anyone. And it might make her life a lot harder than it already is with her broken leg. So after some laughs, we uh, called off our harebrained plan, though I certainly appreciate Catherine's creativity. So you can all know that I'll consider a lot of wild things for my sermons. Maybe someday one of you can be lowered down to the service from a chandelier. I think I'm Alan's least favorite staff person because I'm always asking to bring people to the roof and do other weird building things in the name of art and ministry. Sorry, Alan. But in all honesty, this story that we read today, this first one that we heard in chapter two, it's a little wild and the main characters in this story come up with a bit of a harebrained plan themselves. They don't use a chandelier, but they do lower someone through a roof. Jesus goes to Capernaum near his home. The text says that people heard he was home. Maybe he was visiting his mom, coming home for the holidays sort of thing. And everyone had heard this guy from their hometown, their neighbor, their friend from school, where they had learned the Torah. This guy had been traveling around as a preacher, talking with everyone about God, sharing some interesting and somewhat inflammatory views. And they all wanted to see for themselves what was happening. So I imagine poor Mary looking forward to time with her son and then realizing that her son was stirring up such a fuss that people wouldn't leave him alone. I imagine her at first making some food for the first guests who arrive to hear him teach. But as the crowd gets bigger, I bet she gives up, sits down, and decides to listen to her son too. And as Jesus is preaching, a very strange thing happens. His mom's roof starts caving in. No one noticed it at first, perhaps. At first, it started as a few pieces of grass or clay. And Jesus looks up, perhaps, and then he keeps preaching. As it continues, Mary starts to get a little worried. Her friends and neighbors start judging Jesus a bit for not keeping up with maintenance around his mom's home. He's a carpenter by trade. You'd think he'd help his mom out. But soon it is clear that this, this is no maintenance issue. Soon the small pieces of grass falling on those in the house turn to buckets worth. Someone is digging through the roof. 
Maybe folks start dodging pieces of falling grass and clay and wood, and others who are gathered around Jesus run outside the house, and eventually all falls to the ground and the roof is open to the sky. And how it happened was this. There was a man who was sick, unable to walk, and we don't know much about him besides his condition, though certainly we can guess on some things in his story. I bet he had gone to many doctors to seek help, or perhaps not, maybe he couldn't afford it, or maybe his condition was incurable. Maybe he still had hope, though, and wanted to see this teacher, this Jesus. Maybe Jesus had been a neighbor or classmate of his, and he wanted to see him because he thought that Jesus could heal him. Maybe he had given up hope and given up thought that he could be healed. This is a possibility too. But whatever the case, whatever his story, he couldn't get to Jesus himself. He was unable to walk. Even if he wanted to, how was he to get himself to the healer? But the good news is is this. He had some friends who loved him a lot and who weren't afraid to break some rules. They were, uh, these are the best kind of friends, don't you think? <laughs> this man's friends, maybe he asked them to help him. Maybe one of them suggested it. Regardless, these friends helped him get onto a mattress, and grabbing each of the four corners, they picked him up and lumbered across town to where they heard Jesus was hanging out with his mom. Unfortunately, persuading their paralyzed friend to go with them and then rigging up the mattress had taken some time, and by the time they got to the house where Jesus was, it was packed. The crowd poured out onto the street. Folks inside who could hear Jesus well passed what he said to people who hadn't gotten there early enough to get a good seat, and try as they might, these four, they couldn't break through the crowd to bring their friend to Jesus. It was too crowded. So they looked at each other. They had gotten this far. They loved their friend very much and wanted the best for him. It was worth a shot, right? This Jesus could maybe heal him. So they looked at each other and they looked at the roof. One got a wild look in his eye maybe and looked at the other. And another one said to him, No, you're not thinking what I think you're thinking, are you? And the first one nodded. The engineer of the group started mapping out the way they could get through the roof, perhaps. The social one started bringing up how this would be disrespectful to the teacher and to Mary and her house, and then the organizer of the group said that he would get a group together to fix things later. And so this group of friends, they looked at each other, and they nodded. They positioned themselves on the ladder or stairs and transferred their friends on the, friend on the mattress from one set of hands to the next, and they got him up on the roof. At this moment, I imagine their friend was protesting, don't make a big deal of this, please. We can wait for the teacher later. Let's not do this. Let's not make a scene. I don't want to make this harder for you. I don't want to burden you. At least that's what I would be saying. I'm terrible at accepting help, and it's something I'm working on. My people want to care for me well. But like some of my friends and family, this man's friends see what he really wants, what he really needs, even if he protests, and they set him down and they begin digging. Now, digging through a roof of a modern American house, it seems a little ridiculous. Those shingles aren't going anywhere easily. There are nails involved. There is no way for a group of four men to dig through a modern roof just with their hands, but this was a different sort of roof. 
I spent some time studying with a seminary in the Democratic Republic of the Congo at the end of my time in seminary, and there I learned about all sorts of other roofs than the ones that I grew up under. My host family's home in the DR Congo was made of mud, and the roof was made of wooden slats with grass laid over and woven through the slats to create the roof. While I thought these roofs seemed ineffective at first, I quickly learned through Congolese rainstorms that they keep out all manner of weather very well. <coughs> Excuse me. And this type of roof that many historians, this is the type of roof that many historians think that Jesus and his mom might have had. The roof perhaps, the house perhaps was stone, mud, or clay, and the friends of this paralyzed gentleman, they started digging through the grass and wooden slats that made up the roof. And I don't know if you've ever had a moment in your life when you're making a somewhat questionable decision and suddenly realize that there is no going back. I imagine this is what went through the heads of each of these friends. What are we doing? Is this a good idea? What if we get in trouble? We will get in trouble. Will we offend the church teacher? We will certainly offend Mary. Well, our friends needs this. This is right. There's no turning back now. And they dug and they dug, pulling up the grass and setting it aside. Soon they heard a commotion below and knew that as much as they were trying to keep the roofing materials from falling on people, the people below weren't experiencing that and they were running to the door, moving to the sides of the room. And Mary, I imagine Mary was used to having teenage boys and I imagine she got out her mother voice and said, Jesus, tell me what your friends are doing to my house right now. And as their heads poked through the roof, they could start to make out shapes of people in the darkness of the room below. And I imagine that as Jesus looks up, he breaks out into a smile. Slowly, the mattress is lowered down to the floor, and Jesus and others still in the room, they take the mattress from the friends and lower the man to the floor in the house safely. The man on the mattress now, he nervously is looking up at Jesus and all the faces leaning over him with shock and confusion. And I hope that you have some friends like this, or have experienced or will experience friends like this at some point in your life. These friends, they love this man, they see his need. They know there are some big odds against their friend getting healed. Who gets miraculously healed anyway? And even if Jesus could do something like that, how could they get their friend there? And once they figured out a plan and and got there, they saw the crowd and they realized this was perhaps even more impossible than they thought. This was an obstacle, and so were the roofing materials. There were so many obstacles that stood between their friend and Jesus. But they did what they could to remove them, one obstacle at a time. And maybe some of our job as followers of Christ, as friends to others, is to remove the obstacles that keep them from knowing that Jesus loves them. I imagine you can think of some of these obstacles. Obstacles that keep people from Jesus are things that have to do with us as churches sometimes. Things in our world. Things that have to do with people and their histories, their stories, their traumas, their personalities, their needs. Obstacles that keep people from Jesus are vast and varied, and I imagine that you can think of some of these in your life, things that have kept you from Jesus. 
And if you're anything like me when you see obstacles, I want to do everything within my power to fix it. I want people to be well and I want to help heal them. I bend over backwards to do everything I can to make people well, to help people be in a good place, to make change, to make our world better. And some of our job as Christians, as friends, is to be a part of God's healing work. This is true. We are called to compassion and justice all throughout Scripture. It is our job to remove the obstacles in people's way that block their freedom and wellness. Perhaps we can remove obstacles to folks feeling loved and welcome at the throne of grace, whether or not that means church attendance. This can come in many ways. Maybe this means coming to terms with the ways the evangelical church has participated in putting our president in office, following power and money instead of Jesus. Maybe this means we work to make our local church more welcoming and loving for LGBTQ people. Perhaps we can remove some obstacles and make a way through crowds, work to open up some roofs, no matter if someone, even Mary the mother of God, yells at us for destroying the roof. But what does it mean to remove these obstacles? What is our job in the middle of it? I think we can take a cue from our friends in this story. They don't, at least in this story, try and heal their friend themselves. They don't try and fix him and make everything right. That isn't their job, and it isn't ours either. Sometimes when I try and help out, try and show compassion, I burn out, and I get compassion fatigue because I am trying to do something more than remove the obstacles. Our job isn't to make things all better for all people, to fix people. It isn't our job to heal others. It isn't our job to do the work of Jesus, to save others, or make people choose steps towards healing on their behalf. That is codependency. These are unhealthy relationship patterns. We aren't Jesus. Instead, our job as followers of Christ who are called to love others is to remove the obstacles that pe keep people from Jesus. We can remove obstacles and then we can rest, knowing that saving people isn't our job. We still strive for things to be right, of course we do, but we recognize what is ours to carry and what isn't, just like these friends. They held their friend up on his mattress, did everything they could to bring him to a place where he could heal, and they let the master do the rest. Sometimes removing the obstacles looks like simply listening, like making things a little easier in someone's life in some practical ways. Maybe it means letting things be so people have time to process and feel all the feelings. Sometimes in my life, I've gone through many doubts. And often doubt in the American church isn't received well. I know I've had a few people in my life who have been worried about me in the middle of my doubts about faith, who have tried to fix me, to argue me back to church attendance, to make my faith just like it once was and just like theirs. However, this isn't what it means to bring people to Jesus. I fundamentally don't believe that apologetics always works for the vast majority of people. You can't always argue people into faith or time with our Creator. We can't force people into any of it. We can't make it all right in everyone's lives all the time. All we can do is remove the obstacles that keep them from Jesus. We can love them well.
and we can love Jesus well. This removes obstacles. We can remove the obstacles through activism, through listening and practical care. I'm sure you can think of many other things. We are, we are commanded to do these things. Remembering that we aren't saviors isn't a get-out-of-doing-justice-free monopoly card. It means we work all the more to make things right, but in a boundaried way. Talking with Jesus about what is ours and about what is not. And Jesus, who can truly save, will do the rest. It is between them and Jesus. And now after the roof caves in in our story, this is where the story gets extra interesting. Jesus removes some obstacles in this man's life too that were keeping him from thriving. And he does it like this. Instead of healing this man, staring up at him right away, Jesus first says to him, Child, your sins are forgiven. And of course, the religious leaders who had come over to Mary's place to see what Jesus was preaching about, they were not thrilled about Jesus' statement. In fact, tradition told them that only God could forgive sins. So Jesus' words here were blasphemous. He was, in a sense, calling himself God. And Jesus would have known this. He grew up learning from these religious leaders, after all. He was in class, probably, with some of them. He knew what he was doing. He was poking the bear. And so he addresses it. He knows what they're thinking, and he asks, Why do you ask such questions in your heart? which I imagine would freak them all out a little bit. Did I say that out loud? Did he hear me? And Jesus says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, take your mat, and walk? He knew that the people there would think that healing this paralyzed man was completely impossible. Maybe they thought that forgiving their, the sins we all have was maybe a little easier. So Jesus, to show that he was God and could forgive sins, to show that both were possible with God, he then does the even harder thing in the minds of those gathered. Jesus heals this man. Jesus says, But so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go home. And the man does so. And people around him are amazed. They are shocked. And they celebrate and they wonder what just happened. And I think this reminds us that sometimes removing obstacles means challenging authority. The entire chapter of Mark 2 is all about Jesus doing just this. In this chapter alone, Jesus heals a man, helps him be welcomed back into community by forgiving his sins, and he calls himself God. He calls a man to be one of his disciples who would have been hated because of his profession. He was a tax collector. <coughs> Excuse me. He breaks the Sabbath commandment and fasting suggestions by religious leaders for leading a holy life. And to top it all off, he eats with people designated as sinners by religious leaders, polluting his image and making him religiously unclean. Some of these things were annoying to religious leaders and some were punishable by death. In removing obstacles that kept people from God, from him, he and his followers were persecuted and killed. Our work in removing obstacles, it's not going to be easy. We will, like Jesus, come up against religious leaders. 
people in power who won't think that our work to remove obstacles, our work to make the way easier for others to come into Jesus' presence is good or holy. We will come up against this. We too may be pushed to the edges and we too will lose much. We too might receive criticism from the scribes of our day and even be told that we are blasphemous and destroying things because of our work. This is what happens when we follow Jesus. Maybe we will be ridiculed by some for not trying to save them too, for setting boundaries, for not fixing everyone or trying. Maybe others won't like it when we step back and don't try to play Jesus. But this doesn't mean that we should stop pushing through the crowd, climbing up to the roof and removing the ceiling, push back and even face persecution. This shouldn't stop us from bringing people in and laying them at the feet of Jesus so that he can keep removing obstacles and finally do the real work of loving and healing and saving. This is our work, simply to remove the obstacles and not try to play the Savior, no matter what we might receive because of it. And so, my friends, may we rest knowing that our job is simply to get creative and remove obstacles. Not shying away from how hard it is to do so, and also not taking on anything that isn't ours. May we lean on Jesus, the master, the healer, as we remove the obstacles and leave the saving work to him. Amen.